right, we're going. Hello and welcome. Welcome. Happy Monday. Uh, I'm Carly. Unknowns. Oh, I'm Known Unknowns, and this is Carly Podcast. Welcome. It's weird out there. Hello, Hello. Harry. It's, when, it's Monday. Hello, Harry. It's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. T-G-I-F. T-G-I-F. T-G. <laughs> what? Thank God. It, that's a, in that Katy Perry song where they just start going T-G-I-F. Is that Thank God it's Friday? T-G-I. Thank God it's Friday. Yeah, but I don't know the song. T-G. Oh. Okay. Okay. I don't know that many songs. Hi. All right. Uh, what's, what's new this week? Uh. <laughs> Anything new this week? Well, the other night, uh, we, we were listening to, uh, the, all these old, like, uh, Chipmunks <gasps> songs, like, Slow Down. Yes! 16 times. We'll link that in this episode, because that's, that's good. That, that is some good music. Okay? It was. It was, it definitely... It was, was cool. so fun. I was just jamming. Yeah, it's chipmunk music, but it's like slowed down. Mm-hmm. So it's real voices. Yeah, just sing, singing, singing slowly slower. over slow, low. But it's not like the... Yeah, no, it's no it like... sounds like a normal voice just singing slowly. Yeah. Like a slow and song. Yeah, and all it's these like... so cool. All these like dumb 70s pop songs like sounding really weird and... But like... they sound so cool. They sound very like alternative. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, really it fun. It like... Uh, it sounds, I guess, Velvet underground yeah, slash yeah. Joy Division. That's <laughs> like... a good... That's a good way to say it. Mm-hmm. If you do drugs, I would imagine... <laughs> Really, I just have to imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would imagine that'd be really fun to listen to. Yeah. On some kind of drug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a thought. I'll just put it out there. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Sorry, I'm like adjusting this microphone as we speak. I apologize for it <laughs> to everyone listening. Okay, um, let me think. I have like a really long topic this week. Uh-huh. So yeah, again... Weird thing happening this week. So Harry did his episode last week. So today I'm going to be doing... It's Carly's turn. It's Yeah, I'm going to be doing my topic. It's really long. Mm-hmm. It is 13 pages, single-spaced, all copy and pasted from other articles. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I'm just going to put that out there right now. I'm going to try to change it as I go. I changed maybe three sentences in this whole thing. <laughs> I, I deleted stuff, and I added a few sentences of my own. <laughs> okay, great. Um, yeah. Okay, well, anything else you wanted to talk about before we get started? You know what? I'm just going to say I'm sleepy. I'm sleepy this week, too. Still sleepy. I'm still really sleepy. We're, we're, when are we not sleepy, though? DBH, yeah. So DBQH. you're just getting one story today, but it's a really good one. Okay. Also, I apologize. I'm actually glad this... Um, we did this episode later mm-hmm. because this episode, this story I actually heard on my favorite murder. <laughs> I'm sorry if you listen to that, you've heard this story. If you listen to that podcast, you, you've heard this story. But it was just so good. I had never heard of this story. So if you don't listen to my favorite murder, I highly doubt you've heard this story. Okay. But it is so fun. <laughs> All right. This is my hero. 
I'm going to talk about my hero this week. Okay. Do we want to get into it? It's only three minutes in. No, that's fine. It's, it's really it's, you've long, You've got 13 though. pages of notes yeah. there. So. Okay. Okay. All right. I, f- I feel like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my sources are from texasmonthly.com, which has an amazing article. That's where a lot of this comes from, actually. Okay. I should have gotten the the author of this. Should I find it? Okay. Hang on, everyone. I'm going to find it. All right. Hang on. Let me pause this thing. Okay, I found it. So this is actually from November 2005, um, and it's by Skip Hollinsworth. That's a good name. Yeah, isn't that's it? Like a, that's like a Texas journalist name. Skip Hollinsworth. Skip Hollinsworth. It's amazing. I don't read it. You read was, it, no, didn't you? No, I was you? reading the name, Skip Hollinsworth. Skip Hollinsworth. It's from the November 2005 issue of TexasMonthly.com. Yeah, and then some of the information came from the an NBC News article. Um, let me try to... By Dennis Murphy. This is also from 2005 because something... There was an update, I should say, in 2005. That's why it was written. But I must say I don't suggest the NBC News one only because I got a couple good quotes from there, but... The guy who wrote it, it was obviously extremely sexist Okay. when talking about women. And it just made me really uncomfortable. And I was like, this is not good. Like, it just, I don't suggest it, but I'm just going to say I got some of it from there. I don't feel bad taking from him. I do feel a little bad taking from Skip. Skip, don't come after me. You're not just reading the entire article word for word. You're reading... Most of it word for word. But I, you know what? I skipped around. <laughs> I'm skipping around in the article. I'm reading it to you. I'm going to add some own words of mine, and I'm going to comment on it all the way through. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Great. So I'm going to talk about my hero, my world, my savior. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, my hero, Cowboy Bob. Cowboy Bob is love. Cowboy Bob is life. Cowboy Bob is love. Cowboy Bob is life. Can that be the name? That's the name of the episode, okay. everyone. So let's get into Cowboy Bob. You ready for this? Yes. Okay. In May 1991. So this is actually not that old of a 30 story. 30 years ago. Yeah. You'd think a story about Cowboy Bob would be 1852. You You're know? right. In May 1991, Cowboy Bob walked into American Federal in Irving for his first bank robbery. So we're talking about a good old bank robber. Yeah. Your first bank robbery. Yes. That's always the the one you remember, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. a big moment in a, in a boy's life. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, he did not commit any of the amateur mistakes that many first-time bank robbers make. He kept his head down so the security cameras couldn't get a good shot of his face, which is interesting. I'm like, yeah, there were security cameras. Like, this is not... You'd think Cowboy Bob would be doing this in a time where he would never get caught because it's 1800. I'm just (laughs) saying. Um, He did not fidget as the teller read his note. Mm -hmm. Uh, During these long seconds that ticked away as the teller pulled the money out of the drawer. So he slipped him a little note that right. was like, give me the money. Yeah, that's that's all it really it. said. It was like, give me the money. This is a robbery. Mm-hmm. Um, the teller pulled the money out of the drawer. Uh, Cowboy Bob remained absolutely silent. And then came the long walk out of the bank uh, when he had to be 
okay, wait. He was... He did not... He didn't break into a run, nor did he uh, squeal away in his car. He just drove away coolly, walked out like nothing happened. He didn't pull out any kind of weapon. He just passed a note, said, give me the money. Yeah. They gave him the money, and he walked out He sounds calmly, like one cool customer. And he drove away quietly. Um, so he didn't draw any, like, extra attention to himself yeah. by, like, running a bunch of red lights and stuff. Like, he yeah, just right. drove away normally. So. Cool as a cucumber. After this, the FBI's Steve Powell. So he is going to be the head investigator in this case. Okay. Steve Powell interviewed bank employees and, and watched the surveillance tapes. He no doubt, he had no doubt that he was dealing with a professional bank robber. He thought... This guy had robbed hundreds of banks, but this was his first bank robbery. He's a natural. Yeah, exactly. So cool. So yeah. cool. You know, some people are good at some people are good at chess. Some people are good at like basketball. Some people are good at like debates. This guy's good at robbing banks. This is so cool. Okay, in December 1991, Cowboy Bob dressed in the same outfit. Stole $1,258 from the Savings of America, which was also located at Irving. So this is number two. Number two. This time, an eyewitness was able to write down the license plate number of the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Grand Prix. Um, but when Powell's agents tracked the license plate and converged on the owner's home not far from the bank, they found a lady sitting in her living room who said she had not been out of the house that day. And she took them outside to show them her car, which was a red Chevrolet. <laughs> That's when she noticed that the license plate was missing and oh, had been stolen. He stole. Oh, that's smart. That's clever. So the bank cowboy Bob. You don't steal the car. You steal the license, license plate. plate and put it on his car. Oh, that's good. That's good. Isn't that good? Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> So good. Obviously, the FBI agent said the bank robber had stolen the license plate earlier that day and put it in his own car to mislead them. Yeah, that's amazing. Just okay. his second bank robbery. This guy is. I'm. I'm so proud of him. I know. Okay. A month later, he struck again. This time, he moved to the other side of Dallas, hitting the Texas Heritage Bank in Garland for approximately $3,000. So he never gets away with that much. Like, yeah, well, he's, he's not he's getting not greedy. He's not stealing that much. He's... In May 1992, he robbed again, and he got $5,317 from the Nation's Bank. Um, during the robbery, when he noticed the teller... So anytime he goes in there, he slips a note, and he's like... Give me the money. This is a robbery. No alarms. No funny business. Mm -hmm. That's like, and that's all he does. He just calmly slips them the note, never pulls out a weapon, silent, like just doesn't say a word Mm -hmm. and just hands them this note. So the bank teller tries to like slyly put in a dye pack Mm -hmm. into the money that, into the bag Mm -hmm. of money. Yeah. Cowboy Bob takes the bag calmly takes the wad of money out with the dye pack in it and just hands it back to the teller and <laughs> walks away. <laughs> this guy's so cool. This guy's so cool. Isn't he so cool? He rules. This rules. Okay. Oh, man. He is He's like right up there with uh, Lawn Chair Larry for me. Oh, he's... yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this story reminds me of Lawn Chair Larry. 
like just the whole thing like it okay. just it <laughs> has that those vibes yeah you know just a cool dude being mm-hmm. being being a cool dude so a dye pack if you don't know it is um a little it's a dye pack it's a small package that is triggered to explode a few seconds after it passes underneath an electronic uh eye positioned at the bank's exit it mm. stains the money with permanent ink and sometimes stains the robber himself so the money is useless right and so the money is so yeah the dye is just everywhere and mm-hmm. yeah yeah so that's what a dye pack is and i just think that's so funny that he <laughs> caught it like yeah. he caught it he clocked it and he didn't do anything he just like he took just the bag it took back. it out and handed it back took the rest of the money and just calmly walked out <laughs> yeah yeah. By then, Powell had named the robber Cowboy Bob. I don't know why, but it makes <laughs> me laugh. It's such a good name. It's such it's a, a good name. Good name. I want, did he, okay. Can I, can I speculate mm-hmm. on stuff? I did, okay. So I'm wondering if like he worked at a bank, so he like knew the ways to do it or something. Like how. That's a good, that's a good guess. Okay. Anyway, that's just that's just where where my head's at right yeah. now. Like this that guy, would make a like, lot of sense. Maybe though. he 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 is or was a bank teller, so he like. I need you to be honest. Did you read? Did you catch a glimpse of any of these articles? No, I did. I, I did need not. you kind of smirked a little bit. Did you? No, I really did not read like more than I did not like glimpse more than a couple words whenever I was. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. I just don't want this to be spoiled no, for you. No, I'm not. I. Are you loving oh this so far? Because we're only like a page in and mm-hmm. I love this. Yeah. I just love, this is why I was like, I have to tell this story. I knew immediately. I'm like, this is the best story I've ever heard. <laughs> this is my hero up there with lawn chair Larry. This is my lawn chair Larry. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay. A uh, quote from Powell, the FBI investigator. He was making me start to pull my hair out. He w- He could... Th- he, how could this thin little dried up cowboy be whipping us this bad time after time? Because Cowboy Bob is good. That's how Cowboy Bob played. In September 1992, Cowboy Bob robbed first Gibraltar Gibraltar G- Gibraltar Bank uh, of $1,772. Police officers roared up in their squad cars followed about 10 minutes later by several vehicles filled with FBI agents. So these mm-hmm. guys were like, I, we're, we have to catch there. Cowboy Bob. Uh-huh. Uh, they tracked the license plate on Cowboy Bob's car to a Mesquite resident. Is mm-hmm. that how you say that? Mm-hmm. Mesquite resident who predictably went outside to his driveway to find his license plate missing. Mm-hmm. So this happened like every time. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Then while agents were wrapping up their investigation at the first... Gibraltar. Gibraltar. A call came in that Mesquite's first interstate bank um, about a mile away had just been robbed by a man in a beard, a cowboy hat, a leather coat, and gloves. And he was escaping with $13,706. He robbed the little bank. Wait, Cowboy Bob was so pleased with the amount of money the teller gave him. He gave the teller a salute as he left, and he tipped his hat with his gloved hand and walked out. This guy's the coolest dude ever. I love this man. He was just so happy with how much money he got. He was like... 
<laughs> Carly did a salute hat tip gesture just now. Wasn't it good? For those who couldn't see. Was it and good? It was, I could picture a cowboy doing that, and it was real, real cool. It was real smooth. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So this is the second one in one day. Yeah, this he, is the second he, bank well, he robbed. He robbed, the, he robbed the one bank so to distract them when he went to go rob the other bank. I do have to say... This is where he went wrong. Oh, no. Yeah. See that? He I mean, got It sounds greedy. like he's getting cocky, getting greedy, getting cocky. Well, here's why. Uh, so <laughs> Powell shouts, Cowboy Bob is at it again, son of a bitch. <laughs> Doesn't this sound like a like a Old West movie? Yeah, it does. This is why it cracks me up that this well, is like 1992. Took out his six shooters and started firing them at firing the ground. Firing them at the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and he jumps into his car and he's racing toward First Interstate Bank. Yeah, this is, I, I'm pic. I, I was picturing this FBI guy as like a you know like a clean cut like suit type of fella, but now I'm picturing more like somebody Sam. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, this time the license plate that an eyewitness saw in Cowboy Bob's Brown Pontiac Grand Prix was traced to a man named Pete Tallis. Is that... I'm just so upset. He oh, could have no. kept getting away oh, no. if he would have just stolen another license plate. Yeah. He used, he used his his, real oh, He used his own plate. license plate. Uh, but I don't understand why. I, don't, I know. I guess, I guess he thought that... He was like, hopped up on adrenaline. He got rid of the other license yeah. plate number, and then he's like, let's just go do it yeah, again. Yeah, he's like, they know that it's not really my license plate now. So, maybe so if I just use my own, they won't notice. That's true. Maybe it's they'll, like... They'll maybe like they, won't they won't bother it. to even look for it. Yeah. So they traced it to a man named Pete Tallis. Mm-hmm. FBI agents found Tallis at work at a Ford Auto Parts factory in nearby... Carol Carrollton. Mm-hmm. The man said he did own a Grand Prix, but he had given it to his mother and sister about a year ago when they couldn't afford a car. Mm-hmm. They said, um, "Oh, the so Powell, the FBI agents told Pete that his car had just been used in a bank robbery, and Powell, uh, yeah, and then Pete said." Bullshit, that car can't go fast enough. (laughs) (laughs) He's right, though, because it didn't go fast. No, it didn't didn't need to. Pete gave the FBI the address of Helen and Peggy Joe Tallis' apartment, which is his mom and his sister. Mm -hmm. When Powell and the other agents arrived, they spotted the car Mm -hmm. in the parking lot. As they discussed the possibility of storming the apartment and catching Cowboy Bob red-handed, they saw a woman in shorts and a t-shirt walk toward the car. So Powell just kind of stared, and then they decided to just let Cowboy Bob's girlfriend drive around the corner first so they would stop her, and then Cowboy Bob in the apartment wouldn't see, and then he wouldn't be able to run out of the apartment, Mm -hmm. which is, like, good tactic. Right. And I'm mad they did it. Mm. Okay. So they allowed her to drive away from the apartment so the boyfriend wouldn't see them, like, the cops pulling over yeah, the car. Right. When they finally stopped his girlfriend around the corner, Powell introduced himself to the woman whose name, what's her name? Peggy Jo. Okay. Peggy Jo. Which is an amazing name. It's a Texas name for so sure. So cool. I would name my kid Peggy Jo. <laughs> um, 
who politely, she politely said hello and told him her name was Peggy Jo Tallis, and she admitted that the car was hers and that she had driven it earlier that morning to the nursery to buy fertilizer. Mm-hmm. So Powell opened the trunk of the car and there was indeed a bag of fertilizer. Mm-hmm. He asked her if he could look around her apartment um, and she said, I guess, but no one is in the apartment other than my sick mother who lives with me. Right. Helen, Helen Tallis the mom, Mm -hmm. slowly eased herself out of her bed after she heard the doorbell ring and walked to the front door. She opened it and screamed as the FBI agents darted past her with their guns drawn. (laughs) Poor old lady. Sick old lady. They moved into Peggy Jo's bedroom, and her bed was immaculately made, and all of her clothes were hanging neatly in her closet. Mm -hmm. Uh, what the hell? Said one agent. (laughs) Because... He looked at the top of the shelf in her closet, uh-huh. and another. So everything looked fine at first until right. they spotted a styrofoam mannequin head with a beard pinned to it. Oh yeah. He noticed the cowboy hat, and when he looked under the bed, he saw a bag full of money. Oh shit! And he said, "So Powell said, come on, Peggy Joe, you're hiding a man from us.'" And she gave him a look and said, "There isn't any man. I promise you that." <gasps> Powell kept studying her. Then when he noticed the spots of gray dye in her hair and the faint splotches of glue above her lip, he said, I'll be damned, pulled out his handcuffs, read Peggy Joe her rights, and drove her to downtown FBI office where other agents were waiting. And he said, gentlemen, Cowboy Bob is actually Cowboy Bobette. (laughs) I knew it. Isn't this the... It's a woman. (laughs) <laughs> Who dressed as a man. The robber is a woman. The robber is a woman. Isn't this amazing? Yeah. <laughs> if you see the surveillance footage of this, it, she looks just like a man. She had such a good disguise. Isn't that so, so funny? When so did you good. catch on that this was her? Uh... You knew. You read it. You no, read I didn't it read it. I No, when you first were talking about they would let her drive around the corner, I was like, oh... Hold on a moment. I know. I wanted to kind of hide it, so I was like... Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, my first thought was like when they went to like the home, the first... The, like the, when they traced the first car, when they went to that lady's home, I thought like later they'd put it together and like, oh, she was Cowboy she Bob She was all Cowboy along. Bob, the lady on the couch. The first lady that they found, yeah. Isn't this amazing? So not all... <laughs> she's my hero. Harry. Yes, yeah, she's She's so cool. my hero. This is so cool. Okay, okay, okay. So. Oh, man. Okay, about Peggy Joe Tallis. <laughs> we're going to talk about Peggy Joe because oh, she is my hero. I really thought it was going to be Pete. And we're going to, yeah. From the Ford plant. I know, I know. Peggy Joe Tallis was, by all accounts, the classic good hearted Texas woman. <laughs> For much of her adult life, she lived with her ailing mother in a small apartment in the Dallas suburbs. Every morning after waking up and making her bed, always taking the time to smooth out all of the wrinkles in the sheets with her hands, she'd walk into her mother's bedroom. She'd wrap a robe around her mother's shoulders, lead her to the kitchen, fix her cereal, and lay out her pills. For a few minutes, the two of them would sit at the table making small talk. Then after her mother was finished eating... Peggy Joe would gently guide her back to the bedroom, prop a pillow behind her head, set a glass of tap water and her romance novel on the side table, and walk back into her own room to get dressed. Mm-hmm. She's a good lady. Yeah. Um, 
Let's see. Okay, so Peggy's niece is quoted saying, I promise you, my Aunt Peggy was the last person on earth you would ever imagine robbing a bank, uh, said her niece, Michelle. Uh, she also said, whenever I was in the car with her, she never drove above the speed limit. If anything, she drove below it, and she always came to a complete stop at stop signs. Well, yeah. So that's... she's a law-abiding woman, okay? <laughs> yeah. And I think she still is, okay? Okay. Okay, so if you want to understand her, her friends say, you've got to go back to Dallas in the late 50s. Okay. When she was an irre- irrepressibly free-spirited teenager. Mm. Her hair brownish blonde and curly and her green eyes as shiny as marbles. Quote, she had a beautiful wide smile that made you want to smile back at her, said Karen Jones, her closest childhood friend. So... <laughs> Uh, quote, and what was most special about her was that she loved doing things other kids didn't do. She once drove me around looking for stray dogs to adopt. And then she took me over to the yellow belly drag strip just to watch the cars race. <laughs> what a wonderful woman. She sounds really, really nice. She gets even better. She's okay. just so cool. She's my <laughs> hero. She was the youngest of three children. When she was four years old, her father died of cancer, and her mother, Helen, found a job as a nurse's aide to support the family. They lived in a tiny rent house in the suburb of Grand Prairie. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Peggy Jo's sister, Nancy, was a high school majorette, and her older brother, Pete, uh, played on the district championship basketball team. Peggy Jo, however, dropped out of high school after the 10th grade. Quote, well, Karen, Karen, her childhood best friend, said she told me there was just too much else to do in life than spend so many days at school. (laughs) (laughs) Got Uh, that right, Peggy Jo. mm -hmm. One day, in fact, Peggy Jo jumped in her car and just drove off to San Francisco (laughs) because she wanted to see what life was like there. Hell yeah, Peggy Jo. Hell yeah. When she returned, she gave Karen her childhood friend a book of poems written by lawrence ferlinghetti i think that's how you say that the co-founder of san francisco's famous city lights bookstore and an influential beat poet whose work often described the emptiness of modern life i actually read a bunch of lawrence ferlinghetti's poetry in my beat poet class like five years ago (laughs) um uh Let's see. Karen said, I laughed and thought of all the people Peggy Joe's been off reading poetry in San Francisco. But that was just who she was, always ready for an adventure. How cool is she? She's really cool. She's so cool. She's so cool. When she was in her 20s, Peggy Joe got her own apartment in North Dallas and started working as a receptionist at the Marriott Hotel near downtown. Mm-hmm. She actually never worked at a bank. Okay. So your theory was wrong, but like, that's a good theory. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna turn this up real quick. Now I'm talking too loud. I was talking way too loud earlier, so there's <laughs> gonna be some weird stuff happening with that audio. Okay. Where am I here? She and another receptionist, a um uh a young lady named Cherry Young. Mm-hmm. Cute name. Yeah, that's Cherry. A cute name. Um, went out almost every night, so they were like BFFs. Mm-hmm. Peggy Jo always drove in her little burgundy Fiat, gunning the engine, racing other cars from stoplight to stoplight. 
They hit all the great Dallas nightclubs, Soul City, The Fog, and The Filling Station on Greenville Avenue, ordering cores, playing pool, and flirting with men. <laughs> That's yeah. That's the life. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. They went to see the Doors and the Doobie Brothers and even the Rolling Stones in concert. <laughs> Peggy Joe took Cherry to a coffee house where amateur poets read out their notebooks, read out of their notebooks, and they also went to see movies. Um, Peggy Joe's favorite, which she saw over and over, was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, <laughs> starring Paul Newman and Robert Redford. The movie tells the story of the famous bank and train robbing duo who lived in the last days of the Old West. Oh, yeah. Two good-natured Robin Hood-like outlaws who never believed what they were doing was wrong because they never hurt innocent bystanders and they always robbed from institutions that took advantage of downtrodden citizens. That's right. Although Butch and Sundance knew they had little chance of survival, they refused to walk away from the life they loved. And they ended up in, the, in South America, still robbing banks, finally dying in a hail of gunfire. So, she loved that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is like obviously her life before she started robbing banks. Right. But yeah, that was her favorite movie, and I just think that's very cute. <laughs> According to Cherry, Peggy Joe didn't have any immediate plans to get married and have children. She didn't care about finding the right career, and she didn't worry about money. All she wanted was enough to get by, to pay her bills, and to have a little leftover for a few drinks or a couple of meals each week at El Phoenix. <laughs> That's, she's cool. She's, she's so she's cool. She's a cool customer. I know. Quote uh, from Cherry, she said she was saving a little so she could someday go to Mexico just to live on the beach in a hacienda and wear bathing suits night and day. <laughs> she was beautiful and she was rambunctious. She always told me that deep down she was wild at heart. I don't make him like that anymore. No. In the mid-70s, she told her friends she had fallen madly in love with a man who lived near Dallas. And one day, she had gone to town where the man lived, and she saw his car parked in front of some business, so she went over to say hi. Mm -hmm. um, and let's see, who says this? Karen says, she said she then saw a woman getting into the driver's seat of his car. Ooh. Peggy Joe walked up to the woman, asked her what she was doing, and the woman said... Well, ma'am, this is my husband's car. Oh. Peggy Joe was completely devastated. She had no idea she had been dating a married man. So sad. It makes me upset. I'm sorry. He upset Peggy Joe, and I'm upset about it. What a bastard. I know. Not long after that, she moved into an apartment in Irving with, to live with her mother, who was battling a de degenerative bone disease. Peggy Joe found a new job near the apartment at a computer factory. And then she worked in the office of a mobile home construction company. Mm -hmm. She remained friends with Cherry, who by then was working as a cocktail waitress. Uh, Cherry says, every now and then we'd have an old-fashioned night and hit all the old places and listen to rock and roll. And one day she called and persuaded me to quit my job so that we could go to Florida and live for a couple of months on the beach. <laughs> We all need a we all, we all need a need friend, a like, friend Peggy like Peggy Joe. It's so true though. But by 1980, Cherry had married and moved to Oklahoma City. Peggy Joe's childhood friend Karen had also married. Peggy Joe kept her distance from men. 
Karen said, I don't think she was ever able to get over the pain of the betrayal from the married man. I think she decided to be alone. She just didn't really date after that. Yeah. And she was too busy taking care of her mom. Yeah. Yeah. A year passed, then another, then another. And suddenly, just like that, it was 1984. And Peggy Jo was 40 years old. (laughs) With lines tracking out from the corners of her eyes and a touch of gray slipping into her hair. She found another job working for the Pony Express Courier Service, driving a van up and down Dallas's freeway freeways past a series of bland billboards and delivering packages to businesses and she also moved with helen her mom to a new apartment in another dallas suburb uh, let's see the pecan knoll apartments and i can just hear them saying pecan <laughs> i think it's pecan the pecan knoll apartments in garland to be closer to michelle and her family so michelle was her a oh, niece michelle was mm-hmm. her niece uh, Peggy Joe's sister Nancy was then living in East Texas. Peggy Joe and her brother Pete, who had had disagreements in their younger years, were rarely speaking. So it was just, yeah. Uh, over the next couple of years, she endured her own medical problems. She injured her. She injured her back and later underwent an emergency. What's this word? Uh, mastectomy. Yeah, which uh, kept her in bed for several weeks. She also began taking anti-anxiety medication in large part because her income and her mother's social security checks barely covered the bills, especially as her mother's medical costs rose. Um, Cherry says, I think she was beginning to feel like she could never catch up. Um, So Cherry would occasionally come down from Oklahoma City to visit. Mm -hmm. Uh, She also said, and she was too proud to ask anyone for help. She liked helping other people. She didn't want people to help her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cherry paused. And then there's another thing that was going on with her. This is hard to explain, but I think Peg was starting to feel, well, like her life was slipping away. Do you know what I mean? It's the way women get sometimes. You get to a place in your life and you start looking back and you say to yourself, it's not working out the way you hoped. You think everything is slipping away and you feel, I don't know, crazy. You want to scream or something. Cherry paused again. I think Peg missed being wild at heart. Yeah. Poor Peggy Joe. Oh, Peggy Joe. So we're going back to back to the future back to the future to to after the bank robberies when she's caught yeah so the newspapers of course loved writing these stories about this well who wouldn't yeah about the cross-dressing bank robber who used her mother's apartment as a hideout she's cool she's so cool the reporters hunted down Peggy Joe's relatives, but they refused to say anything in large part because they were so stunned about what Peggy Joe had been doing Michelle, her niece, said, we had absolutely no idea. We ha- we asked Helen if she knew what Aunt Peggy had been doing, and she kept saying, Robin Banks? Peggy was Robin Banks? <laughs> that was, like, my favorite part about this story. Just the old lady, like, did you know she was doing that? Robin Banks? Peggy was Robin Banks? Just every time. Never really acknowledged it. Just was like, What? <laughs> Oh, Robin she knew. Banks. She knew, she knew for sure. She had to know. Um, Powell himself, the FBI agent, mm-hmm. realizing he had the case of a lifetime, did what he could did what he could to get Peggy Joe to talk. He wanted to know how she had learned to rob banks in the first place. 
Uh, he also wanted to know why she had decided to rob two banks in one day, and why, before the second robbery, she didn't take the time to steal another license plate. Yeah, That's what I want to know that too. Quote, we could still very well be wondering who Cowboy Bob really was, Powell said. Mm-hmm. But Peggy Jo wouldn't tell him anything. Yeah. Nor would right. she say much to her court-appointed attorney, who then hired Richard Schmidt, a psychologist who specialized in evaluating criminals, to interview her. During their session, she eventually admitted that she had decided to rob a bank to pay for her mother's medications. But she certainly had no intention of robbing a second bank, she said, or a third or a fourth, she continued, <laughs> pulling out a cigarette and lighting it. <laughs> uh, Schmidt uh, could not take his eyes off her. Up until this point, he had, I know, up until this point, he had interviewed approximately 50 bank robbers, all of them male. He had never before interviewed what he described as a nice, normal looking woman who crossed her legs while she talked with him. He asked, so why do you keep robbing banks? <laughs> so why did you keep robbing banks after she got the money for the medication? Right. Uh, you always need more you medication. You always need more medication. I know. But Peggy Jo never answered. She just, she kept staring at a wall, shrugging her shoulders and shaking her head as if she wasn't sure what else to tell him. Uh, Cherry says, I guess it was hard for, t I guess it was hard for her to admit just how fun she had uh, being a bank robber. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you rob one bank and you realize you can rob a bank. Mm -hmm. And like, why not rob more banks? Yeah. So because she carried out her crimes without using weapons, or perhaps because the judge agreed with the defense attorney's argument that Peggy Joe's behavior was completely out of character, mm -hmm. she received a mild 33-month sentence because she never even had like a weapon on nice. her. So job, she Peggy simply Joe. walked in, asked for the money, and they gave it to her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, some people would call that a withdrawal. Yeah, honestly, like she asked, they gave. What what did she do wrong? <laughs> I don't I don't get it. Yeah. Um let's see. I don't remember where I was at. Hang on. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, 33-month sentence, so not long. Michelle later went to see her at the federal prison in Bryan. Uh, she says, I knew that she was unhappy, confined to a cell most of the day. But she came out smiling, and she asked me all about me and my daughter. <laughs> she didn't say anything to me about the bank robberies. She didn't say a single word. She just said it was something that would never happen again. <laughs> A true crime author contacted Peggy Joe while she was in prison and asked her to collaborate on a book, and she wanted to sell it to Hollywood uh, so they could make a lot of money. Yeah. But she turned him down. Oh. Uh, quote, she told me she didn't want to embarrass her family with any more publicity. And I think she also was determined to put that part of her life behind her. And Peggy Joe did try to put it behind her. Uh, by the mid-90s, uh, she was out of prison and back living with her mother to take care of her. To avoid the stares of their neighbors at the apartment complex, they moved to another small apartment. Um, she spent most of her time with her mother, whose hands by then were shaking so badly that she couldn't hold her own silverware. Mm. Every night, she gave her mother a bath and put her to bed. Then Peggy Jo sat alone in her bedroom, usually watching nature documentaries on the Discovery Channel until late at night. <laughs> I just love this woman. I know. I'm in love with her. <laughs> For a while, she worked as a telemarketer. She later found a job as a cashier at the Harbor Bay Marina at Lake Ray Hubbard. 
just outside Dallas, selling customers everything from coolers to minnows to those keychains that float in the water. Um, so her manager, Susie Leslie at the marina, said she was uh, one of the best employees. <laughs> Not once did the money in the cash register come up short on her shift. And what I loved about Peggy Jo was that she checked on the poorer customers. She was constantly pulling out her own money to help some of the families pay for bait. She used to visit with a poor Vietnamese woman who came out here to fish off at the docks for her family's supper. There was a man who came out here who was deaf, and Peggy would write down questions on a sheet of paper asking him if, asking him if there was anything he needed. And I know she used to give some money to a man out here who had been in prison and was still down on his luck. One day I asked her why she did that, give that... Uh-huh. man money and she said well we all got a past you know yeah she's just such a good person i know i just love this woman like <laughs> ah, i do okay once again a year passed and then another peggy joe lost touch with her old friends like cherry and karen mm-hmm. and her sister nancy died of breast cancer and in december 2002 her mom helen died in her sleep at the age of 83 so her life is not easy. I feel yeah. so bad for this woman. Peggy Joe was at her mother's bedside holding her hand. Um, let's see. Susie said she could have put her mother in a nursing home a long time ago. Um, yeah, Susie was her manager at the marina, mm-hmm. and they had become really close friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we talked up at the marina, she said to me uh, that she wanted her mother to be at home to live out her last years in dignity, sleeping in her own bed. She was relieved her mother was no longer in pain, yet you could tell she was still heartbroken. She couldn't talk about Helen without tears coming to her eyes. Mm. (laughs) At Helen's funeral, Peggy Jo and her brother reconciled. She later went to the annual Christmas dinner that Pete and his wife put on for the Tallis family. Uh, Pete said she was friendly to all of us. She loved all the kids. And when I asked her what she was going to do now, she said she had some plans. But she never told me what they were. (laughs) In the spring of 2004, Peggy Jo approached a man at the marina who was selling a Frontier RV. And she gave him $5,900 in cash and promised to pay him $500 more at a later date. She told Susie that the time had come to move on. Um, uh, Susie says... She said she was going to put some money together and head down to Padre Island or to Mexico and live on a beach like she had always wanted to. Um, She told me I ought to come along while I had the chance, before life ran out on us. I'll never forget her saying that, before life ran out on us. Peggy Jo sold or gave away all of the furniture in her townhouse, and she sold an old Volvo that she had been driving. She carried a few potted plants over to a neighbor's front porch, and then she drove away in her RV. <laughs> she just flew the coop, one neighbor, la- one neighbor <laughs> later said. For a few weeks, she stayed at a public park near Lake Ray Hubbard, spending part of the day fishing or walking along the shore, watching the herons fly across the water. Occasionally, Michelle came out in the late afternoons to visit. She and Peggy Joe would sit on maroon folding chairs next to the RV, Peggy would uh, would drink Pepsi out of a coffee cup and smoke Merit menthol cigarettes, grinding them out in a little ashtray she held in her hand. 
Uh, Michelle says sometimes she'd turn on the radio and listen to old rock and roll from her younger days. Groups like Leonard Skinner and Bob Seger. <laughs> she'd watch the sunset and she'd go inside the RV and pull out a skillet and cook up some fajita meat and chopped with chopped onions. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't have been the life. I would have chosen for myself, but I couldn't help but admire her, doing her own thing and doing it her way. She yeah. loved being completely free. Yeah. Yeah. Fajita meat with onions. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't really know Definitely. what that means, but I can guess. <laughs> In the late summer of 2004, Peggy Joe left a telephone message for Carla Dunlap, another friend from the marina. When Carla had developed breast cancer the previous year, Peggy Joe had checked on her nearly every day and had brought her a cap to wear when her hair began to fall out from chemotherapy. Carla said, On the message, she asked how I was doing and said she was about to hit the road. And then she said, And no matter what happens to me, always remember that I love you. Concerned, Carla's husband, John, drove out to the park to see if he could find her and perhaps give her some money, but she was already gone. Where Peggy Jo went still remains the subject of great speculation. Months later, people would say that they had seen her at Lake Texoma and Lake Lavon. Mm-hmm. Um, others would say they had seen her driving her RV through various East Texas towns. And some would say they had seen her in Tyler in October 2004, right about the time an odd bank robbery occurred at the small uh, Guarantee Bank at the southern edge of the city. Yeah. According to the tellers, the robber was an older man with a round stomach and a straggly mustache. He wore a dark, floppy hat, baggy clothes, and gloves. He placed a green canvas bag on the counter and said, All your money. No bait bills, no blow-up money. Then, after receiving a stack of cash, the authorities would not say exactly how much, (laughs) he walked out of the bank and down the street. No one got a glimpse of his getaway vehicle. One of the tellers did tell FBI agents that, um... She was struck by the softness of the robber's voice. It sounded a bit feminine. (laughs) What's more, the teller said the robber's mustache appears to have been glued on, and his stomach looked more padded than real. Perhaps if Steve Powell was still working for the FBI, he was retired at the time, um, he would have caught it right Uh away. Um, But when he retired, he was living on a ranch outside Lubbock, Lubbock. Okay, Lubbock. Occasionally teaching seminars to bank employees about how to spot a bank robber. At the end of each seminar, he'd pass around a photo of Cowboy Bob and tell her story with a certain relish. <laughs> he loved Cowboy Bob. Yeah. Like he loved that story. I bet. Yeah. It's a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, the agents who were investigating the robbery, however, uh, brought in an older male suspect t- to take a lie detector test. After he passed with flying colors, um, they began investigating other men. If they had been told that their subject, that their suspect was a 60-year-old spinster who drove an RV with pretty purple curtains inside, <laughs> they would have laughed out loud. <laughs> so part of the reason she didn't get caught immediately was because the cops, for no evidence whatsoever because it, was a scraggly old white guy. Mm-hmm. They had a group of like three black men that they were like, these are the robbers. So they were like staking out their houses and uh-huh. constantly harassing them. Yeah. So that's why Peggy was never really, uh-huh. like wasn't caught at first because they were 
on the hunt for these black men who they thought were like doing robberies around the town. Right. Even though they weren't. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's part of the story. I wanted to add that in, but yeah. Peggy Joe's own family certainly had no suspicions that she had returned to her secret life. Periodically through the fall of 2004 and the early months of 2005, she would call, she would call them from payphones telling them she was doing just fine. Bless you. Excuse me. He sneezed. <coughs> Sorry. Goodness. Excuse me. One <sighs> afternoon, Michelle ran into Peggy Joe at a Walmart in Garland where Peggy Joe was picking up supplies. A couple cartons of cigarettes, some paper towels, and fajita meat. <laughs> uh, Michelle said she seemed to be in great spirits. Uh, and this past May, May 4th to be exact, or not this past May, May 2005, <laughs> yeah. uh, Pete happened to be in Kaufman County, east of Dallas, when he heard that Peggy Joe's RV was parked next to a small lake on a farm owned by a relative. He said, I drove out to see her and we went about an hour and we spent about an hour together. She pulled out a bunch of family photos from a big old box, and we looked at all of them. I've got to tell you, we had a really good time, the two of us. Then she told me that she was going to be packing up shortly and leaving, hitting the road, going on one of her adventures. I said, you okay, Peggy Joe?" And she hugged me, and she said she was happy. And then I said, see you later. The next morning, Peggy Joe woke up and made her bed as usual. After choosing a large black straw hat that came down over her forehead and a pair of black sunglasses that uh, practically covered the top half of her face, Peggy Jo slipped into the driver's seat of the and drove to Tyler, parking her RV next to a jack-in-the-box, which happened to be across the street from a bank. <laughs> the very bank that had been robbed the previous October. <laughs> Holding a black satchel, she stood at the street corner waiting for the traffic light to change. Then she headed for the bank. She walked through the front door, past a sign in the lobby that read, You need, to, you need the right tools to build your dreams. <laughs> and said to the teller, This is a robbery. I need all of your money. Don't set any alarms. So she went back to like the same uh -huh. place. The teller, a young woman, barely out of her teens, gave Peggy Joe everything she had in her drawer, $11,241. Peggy Joe's heart had to have started racing. This was big. This was like the robbery in Mesquite in 1992. All she had to do was get out of there and head south, and she could finally get to Mexico and start her new life on a beach. Mm -hmm. In her haste to get away, however, she made one simple mistake. She didn't check for a dye pack. No. It exploded as soon as she walked out the door, covering the money with red ink, and a plume of red smoke also began to rise from the satchel as she headed back across the street, dodging traffic to get to her RV. So, like, she's just walking out, and her satchel just blows up. Oh, no. And everyone is like, oh. she just robbed this bank. Yeah. The smoking satchel caught the attention of a TXU crew working in cherry-picking buckets above the street. A young Tyler couple named Chris and Courtney Smith, who were driving away with their children from a nearby Walmart, also saw Peggy Joe in the exploding satchel. Because of her disguise, however, they couldn't tell whether they were watching a woman or a man dressed as a woman. <laughs> Courtney said, I bet that person robbed a bank. <laughs> <laughs> and so she dialed 911 on her cell phone. What a bitch. Just mind your own business, Courtney. Mind your Courtney. own business, Courtney. <laughs> um, while Chris whipped around 
uh, the car around to follow Peggy Joe, ordering the children in the back seat to keep their heads down. <laughs> I hate these people. Yeah. What a bunch what of hell? meanies. You're putting your children in danger? Yeah. Unfortunately, it just so happened that a group of FBI agents and the Tyler police officers were out in their cars that very morning cruising right by the bank. They were literally searching for the bank robbers that had been robbing those banks. And they thought it was these, like, three black men. Uh That's why they were out so vigorously searching. Uh Uh, Three banks had been robbed recently in the Tyler area, so that's why they were probing. And so there were... A ton of them out. Mm-hmm. Within minutes, law enforcement officers and curious citizens such as Chris and Courtney Smith and their children were right behind Peggy Joe as she headed down the highway. Because the RV was going up a hill, it was not able to get above the speed limit. Its gears grinding, it lumbered past the Colonial Hills Baptist Church, the Heritage Baptist Church, a movie theater, and a skating rink. Exhaust billowed out of the tailpipe and floated over a field of blue bonnets blooming on the highway's median. So <laughs> the car couldn't go above the speed limit, so it was like a high-speed chase at like 30 miles an hour. <laughs> and it just makes me laugh. Peggy Joe made one last-ditch attempt to get away, suddenly hitting the brakes and turning the RV into a quiet middle-class subdivision at the edge of the city. She immediately turned again onto the poetically named Irish Moss Drive. (laughs) Before she could get to the end of the street, however, a couple of police cars raced past the RV, boxing it in. Officers in bulletproof vests leaped out of their cars, some holding handguns, a few holding rifles. One officer crouched near an azalea bush, another bent down behind a tree. Let's see where we're at. Okay. Minutes ticked by, and the officers were yelling, Come out now. You're surrounded. Just make it easy on yourself. She sat at the RV's little kitchen table and smoked a cigarette. (laughs) A few minutes passed. She walked to the door of the RV and opened it, her hands at her sides. The police officers who had surrounded the RV could not believe what they were seeing. An unassuming woman in a wide-brimmed hat a woman who was the age of their grandmothers because they thought three black men were going to walk out of the RV. She said, you're going to have to kill me. (laughs) And the police said, ma'am, you don't have to do this. Um, One of the officers, a young man who would later be advised by his superiors, superiors to seek counseling for the guilt that would haunt him later. Uh, Peggy said, you mean to tell me if I come out here with a gun and point it at y'all, you're not going to shoot me? And the police officer said, please don't, please don't do that. But then she took a step out of the RV, and from the doorway, her hand emerged, holding a pistol. Just as, just as she began to lower it, four officers fired and sound the shots, um, the sound of shots echoing off the surrounding houses and Peggy Joe's RV. The bullets came at her all at once, hitting her at nearly the same time. Once she hit the ground, however, she somehow found the strength to pull off her sunglasses. For a moment, she lifted her head. Then she closed her eyes and died. Still assuming the accomplices were in the RV, a police SWAT team shot tear gas canisters through the windows and stormed through the front door. She is a 60-year-old woman. Think of, like, just remember that. 
They stared at the bed, still perfectly made up, and at a couple of and at a couple of glass dolphin sculptures on the windowsill. In her bedroom, they found the 357 Magnum, 0.357 Magnum, loaded with hollow, hollow, bullet, hollow point bullets, and it was hidden under her pillow. In her hand, she held a toy pistol that she also kept around. She had bought it to carry with her in case she ever needed to threaten a bank employee in a future robbery, but she never used either of them. So she didn't have a real gun. No. It was a plastic uh-huh. toy gun that she brought out. Um, she won. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's why the officer said he had so much guilt that uh-huh. would haunt him. And I'm like, I mean, it was an old lady who just had a gun at her side and <laughs> all four of you shot her. But okay. <laughs> so um, let's see. The FBI's... Um, if something ran a records check, the FBI ran a records check and realized the dead woman was none other than Cowboy Bob. He called Steve Powell, the original FBI officer, at his ranch and left him a message saying that he had some bad news about his old nemesis. Powell called back and said, say it ain't so. <laughs> he loved Peggy. Aww. He loved her. He said wistfully. <laughs> And the FBI agent said, yeah, I'm afraid we killed Peggy Joe." And Powell was really upset. Aww. Yeah. Meanwhile, newspaper and television reporters once again hunted down Peggy Joe's relatives, but they stayed silent. Pete said, I don't know what to tell them. Who knows, uh, who's now retired and living in Plano? Mm-hmm. I mean, none of it made the slightest bit of sense. Surely Peggy Joe had to know that if she was in some kind of financial jam again, we would have helped her out. That's not what it's about, Pete. I know. But you know. know. About 30 members of the Tallis family and a few of Peggy Joe's friends gathered at the Kaufman City Cemetery for a private burial service. In an impromptu eulogy, Michelle told a story about Peggy Joe's adopting a wounded duck at the marina and named it Bernice. Yeah, she made friends with all of the ducks at the marina. One of Michelle's brothers read some scripture and then said, I am certain that in in a few minutes leading up to her death, as she sat in the RV contemplating her fate, Peg was making peace with God. I doubt it, but (laughs) I'm just going to say I doubt it. Uh, There was a long silence. Michelle and Karen covered their faces with their hands and wept. Okay, I guess we're done. Um, not Pete nodding at the undertaker, walking away before anyone could see the strain on his face. Cherry Young, still living in Oklahoma, wasn't at the funeral. She didn't hear about Peggy Joe's death until August, when she called Pete to catch up. Quote, there still isn't a night that goes by that I don't wake up and think about her. Sometimes I can't get over the sadness that she's gone. But then I think about her walking out of that bank, 60 years old, that bag full of money, and I have to say that she went out doing what she loved. We'll never understand it, but she was doing exactly what she loved. I wish I could write her a note and say, good for you, my sweet peg, good for you. That's right. (laughs) I'm like almost in tears. That's the end of my story. What a wonderful woman. (laughs) I know. Like... 
you hear how cool she is and then you hear that she adopted a wounded duck. Like, <laughs> what? She helped poor people. She loved people. She I was know. just a sweet lady who would help anyone. And the reason she even started robbing banks was to make money for her mom. I know. And then she just wanted the thrill. And I think, the, I think in the end we all realized in the story that she was just depressed with her life. Like, no, I'm serious. Like, yeah, I think she I was just depressed. And she knew she was going out. Like, yeah. she knew. She held up the toy pistol because she wanted to be shot, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She knew she would be shot. But she, the heartbreaking thing is, and just the sweet thing is, she didn't even point a real gun at them. Like, yeah. she was never going to use it to begin with, even if she did. But she didn't even point a real gun at them because she was like, I just need to make it look like I am. So they take yeah. me out. And she never got to the beach in Mexico. And that just breaks my heart. I'm sorry. I know. Isn't that so sad? No. She's She's the best. She's the best, right? Yeah. God. I'm just, <laughs> I heard this story and I'm like, it's so crazy to me. Mm-hmm. This is like the perfect movie. I know. Yeah. This is wild. Some of it just doesn't sound real. I'm like, I don't know. Just the fact that she never even brought like a weapon with her to these banks. Like she just asked for the money. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't like, she was stealing from a bank. And she never yeah. got away with more than like, what, $12,000? Like it wasn't like she stole millions of dollars from these mm-hmm. banks. Yeah. And honestly, it seemed to go to all good things like her mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That she was caring for. Yeah. That was good. What a beautiful woman. <laughs> I know. Peggy Joe. That's another reason I would name my child Peggy Joe. Yeah. After the infin- infamous woman. Mm-hmm. Peggy Joe. I just... <laughs> her friends even just had such nice things to say about her. Like, yeah, they all knew she just wanted to be wild one last time. But I think even all of her family members knew something was wrong. Something yeah. was off. And that's yeah. sad, but she yeah. went out doing what she, she loved. Was, she was wild at heart. She, yeah. <sighs> she's so cool. Isn't she so cool? Yeah. Well. All right. That's what I have for you this week. Do you have any final thought? You didn't say much during the story, but it was I also was just an listening. hour of me talking. I, I, I was just listening because I was, I was enraptured. Wasn't this amazing? <laughs> this is how I felt after you told me the story of the lawn chair guy. Mm-hmm. Lawn chair Larry. Yeah. This is how I felt. Just heartbroken. But also in awe. Yeah. You know? Like I you're know. in awe of this amazing person. Because I genuinely don't care that she robbed banks. I think it's yeah. badass it's how she crime. did it. Yeah. And she knew that. Yeah. And if you go back to her favorite movie. I, I know, right? She yeah. was like a Robin Robin Hood type yeah. where mm-hmm. she was like only stealing from people who were terrible to poor people. So like banks. Mm-hmm. And she was only stealing from people who deserved it. Yeah. And then she was giving back to the community and being a good person as well. Mm-hmm. And then she went down doing what she loved in Gunfire. I just know. like the movie. How poetic is that? <laughs> I think she wanted it to happen because she's like, mm-hmm. this is my favorite movie. I just love that she was surrounded 
she just sat at her little table in her RV, smoked a cigarette, and went out and was like, I'm going to die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> She's so cool. Yeah. No. When I read that it was a toy pistol, my heart broke into a million little pieces because I was like, oh, she did pull out a gun. That's pretty cool, but mm -hmm. not very on brand of her. And then you find out, yeah. Yeah. Apparently she told her friend Sherry once, like, I could walk into that bank right now and rob it and no one, they would never catch me. And Sherry said, yeah, yeah. And Sherry, her friend, said, you'd need a gun. And she said, no, I would never be that stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that's cool. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you obviously don't need one to mm -hmm. rob a bank. And she never wanted to physically hurt yeah. people no she only helped people just all these stories i'm like she mm -hmm. cared for a wounded duck she <laughs> gave to poor people like i just love her she is my idol mm -hmm. she's like this beautiful at heart and outside woman if you see pictures of her you're like she robbed a bank like i think that's even cooler mm -hmm. and she went down it's like a grandma yeah I know. robbing a bank <laughs> and went out in gunfire like an old wild west movie yeah ah oh, so cool <laughs> she's a hero yeah i know she is a hero oh i love her so much okay all right that's all i have I'm well that to... that was plenty that was plenty that was good <laughs> yeah all right all right thanks for listening everyone yep we love you we love you so much <laughs> And I hope you love Peggy Joe just as much. If I ever have a kid, I'm naming it Peggy Joe. Okay. If I ever have a duck, I'm going to name it Peggy Joe. <laughs> okay. If I ever have a lot of land and I own ducks, mm -hmm. I'm naming one Peggy Joe. Yeah, absolutely. From the duck she loved at the marina. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she liked to hang out with the pigeons and the, like, basically all the waterfowl and, mm -hmm. like, feed them. And she liked to take some of them as pets That's when right. they were hurt and stuff. Uh -huh. But she had one pet duck. One Cute. sorry i can't get over this woman she's my hero yeah. well even if you did listen to the my favorite murder episode mine was much more in depth theirs were like 30 40 minutes mine was an hour there mm -hmm. were more details of peggy joe in this so i hope you learned something a little more about peggy joe if you already knew the story yeah okay so thanks again to that guy that i said at the beginning who wrote that article mm -hmm. you the best Yep. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, this has been, I, I've been Harry. And I'm still Carly. And this has been. Known unknowns. We're not in the royal family anymore. Because it's weird out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.